Chapter 12 of The Octave of Claudius. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Octave of Claudius by Barry Payne. Chapter 12. Before Claudius left for Gilbridge, on the following morning, he sent a messenger to his old lodgings to recover the manuscript of his novel. The motive of living had come now, and come too late. It was his whim to see if the means of living would not come also now, and with a similar irony. The book had been refused, when refusal meant despair. Possibly it would be accepted, when acceptance could bring with it no hope. He sent the manuscript off to another publisher. In the note that accompanied it, he said that, as he was leaving England, an early decision would greatly oblige him. At the same time, he dispatched another messenger with a note to Dr. Gabriel Lamb. It was only after long consideration that he had decided to send it. The question he wished to ask was, indeed, one which practically had been asked and answered before. Yet there seemed to him just the barest possibility that the doctor might change his mind, and if not, it would be something definitely to know the worst. Besides, it was possible that the doctor's answer might throw some light on the future, on what was to come when the octave was over. In the course of the letter, Claudius wrote, is there any consideration which would make you rescind our contract? If, for instance, though I cannot imagine anything of the kind could happen, some stroke of luck made it possible for me to repay you twice or three times the sum that you have advanced to me, would you then, if I asked it, give me back my promise? Or is there any other way? There were several arrangements besides that Claudius had to make before his departure, to supplement the resources of a provincial hotel and make things more worthy of Angela. She had mentioned that she had meant to ride when she was at Gilbridge. If she found she could hire a horse that was suitable, Claudius had to make it certain that the horse would be forthcoming and without any necessity for hiring it. Just as he was leaving for Gilbridge, the man who had taken his note to Wimbledon returned with a verbal message that the doctor would send his reply by post that night. At the last moment, Mr. Witcherly decided that he would accompany his wife and daughter down to Gilbridge, see them safely established in their lodgings, and then return to dine at his club. "'You don't understand about trains, Jessica,' said Mr. Witcherly, "'and you might let these lodging-house people be too independent.' I'll just come down with you and see that you really get there. So Mr. Witcherly put on a light tweed suit. He had bought it and paid for it, but it did not look in the least as if it belonged to him. Guided his wife and daughter safely through the intricacies of Waterloo Station and finally conducted them to their lodgings at Gilbridge. There he explained to the landlady that a variety of things which she was sure she had never been asked for before 
would be both asked for and insisted upon then with a consciousness of duty done he took mrs wycherley and angela for a stroll on the heath previous to his return to the station here claudius chanced to meet them and he would not hear of mr wycherley going back to the station he had been told that mr wycherley was not coming to gilbridge but as he had come he must certainly stop and dine with him angela seconded the appeal do stop papa there are lots of trains after dinner and you can't eat your poor little dinner all alone in a solitary club there was a chance well half a chance of my meeting bodgers at the club i said something about it and he said something about it but nothing definite mr bodgers must dine alone said claudius a telegram to the club in case he goes there and the thing is settled you really must not disappoint me and added mr wycherley i've no clothes with me except what i stand up in that doesn't matter in the least i also will dine in this very identical suit if you like there's the last excuse shot dead oh well said mr wycherley with mild geniality i'm sure i'm not anxious to make excuses if you'll take me as i am i'll come with pleasure very kind of you the pleasure was quite real on mr wycherley's part young people did not as a rule make much fuss with the little man or seem particularly desirous for his society he felt rather flattered the hotel proprietor did not feel flattered at all claudius had taken some trouble about this dinner there had been various importations from london which seemed to the hotel proprietor to cast imputations on the quality and extent of his resources he ventured respectfully and grandiloquently to remonstrate with claudius and he did not obtain a lengthy hearing go away and don't bother said claudius i know that what i've done is unusual but no slight to you is intended by it i must have my own way and i expect to pay you for the privilege the actual dinner was short and simple but the wine the venetian glass the linen the silver and cutlery the flowers and fruit even the oak table on which the dinner was served had all come from london and the arrangement of the table had been wrested from the hands of the hotel head waiter and given to an imported superior and professional person and this was all done for the entertainment of a mature lady in a tea-gown that looked like a dressing-gown or it may have been a dressing-gown that looked like a tea-gown a young girl in pink a young man in a tweed suit and another tweed suit with an older man lurking in its interior but then the girl in pink had eyelashes and very pretty ways and was sympathetic even the hotel proprietor could see this and he was stirred to emulation he himself stood in the kitchen closely inspecting wisely directing even with his own hands adding last touches while the dinner was being prepared he himself decanted a bottle of port that was one of a remaining three 
long ago taken out of the wine list and reserved for the most rare and exquisite occasions the dinner was short and simple but it was perfect you know said mr wycherley mildly i was once at this hotel before came over with mr bodgers one sunday but they didn't do me like this yet we ordered our dinner carefully very carefully bodgers is always careful about that this this is miraculous you flatter me said claudius laughing hotels won't trouble themselves for mere men i believe you should have brought your wife and daughter with you no no cried angela i protest against that i am not going to be taken about the country as a decoy diner even for my own starving father it's too sordid a role claudius changed the subject now he said i do take to myself some credit for the view from this window i think i've arranged that very well will you please look through the open window one saw a big yellow moon and a clear night sky in front the tops of the dark trees in the garden outside and beyond the dim low hills now that is nice said mrs wycherley you don't think asked claudius that it would have improved the composition of the picture if i had put my moon a little more to the right don't be irreverent mr sandell said angela reprovingly it's too far awayly lovely she sighed i don't think any of us deserve it except perhaps me ah well mr wycherley said views are not a thing that i'm much of a judge of now this port that is to remind us that we are to leave them to drink it angela said mrs wycherley they passed into the next room mr wycherley settled himself again and filled his glass this port he continued is not the port that they gave my friend and myself when we were here mr sandell shouldn't have believed a country hotel had got any of it i seem to be particularly lucky said claudius mr wycherley rolled the wine round in his glass meditatively luck he said i wish there wasn't such a thing it's the ruin of legitimate business claudius led him out on this subject it was mr wycherley's own subject and he talked exceedingly well upon it in a dry and unpretentious way he gave claudius glimpses of the romantic side of commerce he had stories of the mining market that were worth telling and he told them when he paused claudius started him afresh on the subject that he thoroughly understood mr wycherley became fascinating and interesting he was it appeared strongly opposed to avoidable gambling of course he said all business is nowadays more or less of the nature of a gamble but there is avoidable speculation and the number of men that go in for it is astounding some make fortunes more get broken i won't touch it myself mr wycherley it will be observed did not say that he never had touched it 
A man came to me today, he went on. It was that friend of mine, Bodgers, I spoke to you about. He wants me to buy some shares that are at present on the rubbish heap. He's seen the last report from the mine, not yet published, and it's very favorable. He knows that a syndicate is just being formed in Paris to deal with the shares. I'm convinced that his information is as good as it can be, and I can trust him as I can trust myself, but for all that I am not going to touch it. When they had rejoined Mrs. Witcherly and Angela in the next room, Angela told her father that he had been behaving very badly, and she had a great mind to send him to bed at once. Dear me, said Mr. Witcherly, what have I done? You have been talking business after dinner, which is wicked of you. No, I didn't listen at all. You raised your voice once, and I couldn't help hearing the words. Three hundred percent. I won't have any three hundred percent after business hours. I never have it during business hours, replied Mr. Witcherly. I confess I've been talking shop. But it is really Mr. Sandell's fault. When I stopped and apologized, he made me go on again. Oh, oh how cowardly. But perfectly true, added Claudius. I can't understand this prejudice against talking shop, Miss Witcherly. If a man speaks of something that he really and specially knows and makes it exceedingly interesting, why should he be stopped with the word shop? Everybody ought, at times, at any rate, to talk his regular shop. Very well, said Angela. If he really has been interesting, he may sit up a little longer. I wonder what my own particular shop is. You professed, Claudius said, to have a special gift for appreciating the moon. I don't know whether there was anything in it. And by the way, Mrs. Witcherly remarked, what a pity it is we can't see it from this room. So pretty it was. Claudius suggested the hotel garden. The night was fine and warm and Mrs. Witcherly was sure it would be most pleasant. All four went downstairs and out into the gravel walk. Here Claudius and Angela passed on in front. When they were out of hearing, Mr. Witcherly said, Don't know when I've enjoyed an evening so much, Jessica. Most pleasant and sensible young man, that. Who is he, by the way? Son of Sir Constantine Sandell, my dear, and a great friend of Lady Verriter's. She speaks most highly of him, and money, as you see. Does he want to marry Angela? asked Mr. Witcherly, bluntly. Ah, my dear, that's where I'm puzzled. There may be a certain something, though Angela doesn't say there is, but there's something else rather in the way at present. I don't know whether you see. I don't, said Mr. Witcherly laconically, and I don't know that I do either exactly. Angela was really most mysterious. If the child has a fault, it is that she won't discuss things enough. She wants me to take no step at all, to leave things to her. And one day she will tell me. 
"'It sounds all wrong and rather shady,' said Mr. Witcherly. "'If he's entangled with some other woman. "'Oh, I don't think it's that. "'It generally is that, Jessica. "'You see, you don't know about things. "'If it is, he has no business here. "'For he's obviously here for Angela. "'Shall I speak to her firmly?' take her away? No, it is not necessary. But, my dear, you said it was all wrong. I said it sounded all wrong. You were never exact enough in your language, Jessica. As a matter of fact, it's all right, I believe. It sounds as if he were entangled with another woman and had no business to be after Angela. On the other hand, Lady Verriter, who is devoted to Angela, introduces him. Also, Angela is independent and takes care of herself. Girls have more freedom now than they had when you and I were young. They've got used to it. Don't lose their heads over it. Also, there may be nothing in it. And as it's a question of a few days only, we'd better not interfere unless something fresh and different happens. How do you see the reasons of things, said Jessica, admiringly. Besides, I'm much inclined to like the young man, and I don't often like anybody on sight. If dining out were always like this, you'd get me to dine out more often. Small dinner, no crowd, no tinned humbug to eat, and good wine to drink. That suits me. Mrs. Witcherly was switched into her favorite topic at once. I never had a better appetite, she observed. It may be the country air, or it may be the railway jerking being good for the liver, which Maria always said. But for me, I had a capital dinner, and afterwards not a touch, not a twinge. You know how it is sometimes. Mrs. Witcherly expatiated with some plainness of speech on how it was sometimes. Her husband listened, or appeared to listen, patiently. He was smoking an excellent cigar, and placidity came easily to him. On ahead, Angela and Claudius walked together. They saw the golden moon through gently swaying branches. The summer night was lavish of its poetry. Angela's voice was soft and touched with emotion. She spoke of the most matter-of-fact commonplace things, but her personal glamour made them beautiful to Claudius. She wondered if she would be able to find anything to ride in Gilbridge. Perhaps the hotel let out horses. Did Claudius know? Claudius said that he himself had a little mare there, had bought her because she was beautiful and cheap though he didn't know what to do with her beyond selling her again. He would be very glad if Angela would try her. On the following afternoon, perhaps they might ride together over to deep water. Mrs. Witcherly might drive and meet them there. There was a picturesque inn by the river where they could get tea. It was arranged, and it was all commonplace and yet it brought back to Claudius's mind echoes of a poem that everyone knows and loves. 
I and my mistress, side by side, shall be together, breathe and ride. So one day more am I deified. And the possible days were few and flying with terrible swiftness. End of chapter 12 Recording by John Brandon